Welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey. Today on the show, we've got uh, the uh, director of Backline, which is a 12-week uh, accelerator that uh, uh, is designed to help um, you know, emerging Milwaukee artists to jumpstart their career from both the professional and business sides of everything. And uh, he's also, he's produced, he's managed, he's engineered, he's done the whole nine. Uh, we've got Mag in the house. Thank you for being on the show. Man. Yeah, man. And Thank you for having me, man. Of course. Uh, how's your day today? It's been good. Just busy recruiting, jumping around. Uh, went home, made dinner. Uh, what'd you have? I made uh, chile rellenos, which is stuffed uh, peppers. Oh, shit. Okay. And then, like, eggs and flour and stuff. It's really, really good. Damn. That sounds great. Yeah. Some I Mexican rice. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Mexican rice is my favorite way to do it. Um, I, uh, yeah, I've, I struggle to, like, eat, like, full-ass, like, dinners these days because, like, I'm just, I fit way too much, like, trying to do so much in my days. So, like, I kind of just eat when I have time to. Yeah. But I need, a, I need like, a real-ass dinner soon. Yeah, man. Definitely. I mean, food is important, man. I only eat between two to eight every day sure that's why i was like man if you're gonna push it to seven that means i won't eat yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 so um yeah man i mean yeah I, I i like to eat i like to cook cooking is my thing grew up cooking yeah so it's, food is good man food's important it is i also i love i happen to love cooking as well um been more self-taught with it since like i kind of been uh out of school and like i've been just not relying on being on campus to eat as much, yeah. but cooking is very therapeutic, you know? Yeah. Uh, I love it a lot, but thank you for uh, bringing the uh, supplies here. Yeah, man, let's pour up, dude. Let's do it. So what do we what do we got here? Man, what? what I was really trying to do, I was trying to make some palomas, which is my signature drink. Is it? But you didn't bring the grapefruit. Man. I did not bring the grapefruit, unfortunately. So without the grapefruit, it's just like, a, it's a fake palomas. We're gonna have fake palomas. Okay, sure. Which is just squirt, grapefruit, and tequila. Okay. Well, well tequila in particular, man. I, so, I really like, so I was saying this before the show, I'm mostly a beer drinker. I don't really, uh, not much, never much of like a cocktail guy or yeah. really just a liquor guy in general, but yeah. I can really appreciate. To the first line, to just pour it to the first okay, line. Cool. Yeah. I do appreciate, like, a good cocktail like when it's just done right i mean i've just kind of only really drank liquor to get drunk in the past <laughs> but i don't to actually enjoy it man yeah hmm it's a good taste man it's, it's grapefruit tequila have you ever had this before this combination no i haven't what do you think pretty good it's i like I'm I agree, like I'm glad you you uh, made the stop for this the score because yeah. it does make a difference there. Yeah, the Seven Up wasn't gonna do it. Then. No, no. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had some cans of Seven Up left over, and I was like, "Is that cool?" And he's like, "No, man, I gotta run to the gas station. We gotta <laughs> we have to do this this way." But um, no, good call, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I uh, appreciate it again. So, 
So what we talk, Mr. Nice Guy, we uh, examine love and fear through our passionate and creative minds. Yeah. Um, so you uh, clearly are very busy, like all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, to start uh, with, you know, everything with backline. So uh, my understanding is applications are out, right? Yep, yep. The applications close. Well, I don't know when this will be out, but applications close next week or so. Cool. So they'll probably be closed by the time this is out, but they close on the. 29th, mm. which is next Monday. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. Sure. Um, yeah, uh, uh, want to give a shout out to our current backline artists. Uh, we got Classic, we got Reyna, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Kaylee, Crossfire. Kaylee Crossfire. Yes, yep. shout out all three of those. Um, really uh, excited to you know see them bringing their careers to the next level. Um, yeah, so I guess like you know, to just take it chronologically, um, I want to, I guess, uh, hear a little bit about where you really started finding, um, like, uh, just music, whether it was the creation of it, uh, or the business side of it. Cause I know you, you've dabbled in both, I guess, like, where do you really start finding, uh, music as an outlet for yourself? Um, I mean, I, I grew up with music. I mean, um, so I actually grew up in the, in the tequila region in Mexico. Okay. So I love tequila. Sure. Um, you don't say. <laughs> yeah. um, and I mean, music plays a big role just in the in the Mexican culture, um, like in any culture. Um, but I mean, I, I want to say I don't know. Like, I mean, I grew up at like my parents went to a lot of concerts, a lot of like Spanish music. Spanish music was basically my life up until like I got get my first album in English was Get Rich or Die Trying by 50 Cent. Mm. Um, and my mom bought that to me for Christmas and they never asked for it. And she just bought me this album and she said, this is like an album that's hot right now. My mom was like a Mexican lady, didn't speak yeah. no English at the time. She just wanted to buy me the hottest <laughs> yeah, right, album. Yeah. Um, 50 Cent in the 2000s, I mean. I mean, and, I mean that's yeah. still like considered one of the greatest albums in hip hop, yeah. um, at least for me. And in, I mean. You know, we don't have to get into right. that piece, but uh, sure. I think that album did it for me. So I think that album then just kind of like opened up this like new world for me, which was like hip hop. Um, and then I had like a small phase of like hip hop and then it transitioned into like reggaeton and like Spanish trap mm-hmm. um, that like did basically all my middle school years. And, and then in eighth grade, I actually um, went to uh, my sister ended up at Mesmer High School. She's sure. a year older than me. So her freshman year, she moved to Mesmer and then they found out that there was a Mesmer prep. So they moved me to Mesmer prep while she was eighth grade. Um, and that's when I kind of got more immersed into like hip hop. And um, I mean, the school was an all black school. I was literally the only Mexican in the school. Um, and I just, it kind of opened me up to this like new culture of like music through hip hop. And like, I already kind of knew a little bit about hip hop and then reggaeton, which is more like Puerto Rican, yeah. Caribbean, um, I saw a lot of those same elements, but I didn't really jump into it until actually eighth grade. My uh, sister's ex-boyfriend wanted to write her a song and I had this little MP3 player that lets you record while it played music. So he ended up writing a song for her through the Armstrong instrumental. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was so bad. (laughs) And then after he left, I ended up giving it my go. Yeah. And it sounded pretty decent. So actually, I first started, I was like making music myself. So eighth grade through then freshman, sophomore year of high school, I was kind of like, that's when I opened up to like 
recording, producing, mostly my own music. Yeah. Uh, then I met Wave Chappelle and then Ishtar. Shout out Wave, shout out Dish. Yep. Yep. All through high school. So we all went to the same high school. Me and Wave and Buddha were all in the same grade. Mm. And then Ish was two years younger than us. Um, and yeah, and then we just started making music. Yeah, and then uh, where did you start incorporating like more of like the managerial like business side of everything? Um, actually, man, after my freshman year, I did a um, a talent show at our school, and then I ended up doing the show. And then after the show, I was like, I don't really like this. Like, I didn't like <laughs> yeah. the attention that came yeah. with it. Um, and yeah, I mean, but I didn't want to stop recording music. So then my sophomore year we ended up opening up a studio inside of our high school through my music teacher, um, Mr. G-Flat, who I'm still in contact with. Um, and me and Wave actually built the studio inside of our high school, and then wow. Buddha tagged along, then our guy Savon, um, and then Ish, our junior Ish was a freshman. Uh, so I ended up becoming the producer. So I was just like the guy recording everyone, producing the music, um, helping them arrange, help them write, kind of like, yeah. move it around um and then i didn't really start managing until our after we graduated high school um i ended up working with wave for a little bit it was like a, a month span i was like man let me help you out i can record yeah. you so we started recording some music and then we were going to do a reunion we were a group all of us were like in this group in high school it didn't work out because then wave moved to memphis um and then me ish and buddha started a group Ish was still a senior in high school, but then Buddha went down to school, to mm -hmm. Parkside, and then when Ish graduated, we ended up saying, I, I remember Ish hit me up, and he was like, yo, man, I want to make some music by myself, and I was yeah. like, cool, let's do it. So I ended yeah. up, I used to take all of my gear to his house and wow. set it up in his bedroom, um, like twice a week. I would drive up all the gear, break yeah. it down, because his mom wouldn't let him come to the south side. <laughs> yeah. So I used to drive up there a couple times a week, we recorded a couple songs, we released it, and then I was like, I didn't want us to be like a duo because I didn't like that I wasn't trying to jump back into right. music like that. I was like, dude, let me just like, manage you. And we joked around for a bit. We released an EP and then that's kind of when I transitioned over to his manager. So when we dropped The Better Life was when I started managing him, mm. which was 2013. Wow. Yeah. Um, damn, yeah, that was so it's been six, seven years. Of six, seven years, yeah. So I, I mean, I've been working with. I mean, I worked with all of them since 2010, 2009. Going on a decade of yeah, uh, yeah. So then, shit. so yeah, I've been doing it for like a decade. Wow, awesome. Yeah, and then, um, so I imagine like um, you know, as uh, managing uh, those artists, you know, it probably I imagine took you into some really you know amazing places. You got to see a lot of different parts of the country and the world yep. and stuff like that. Like I guess like uh um where are like what are some of your fondest memories of like just you know being on uh like tour with them and everything um favorite memory um hmm i think the first tour we did was really cool um we went on tour with absol in 2014. oh wow yeah, yeah we ended up ish opened up for schoolboy q um that was his first show. Ish's first show was opening up for Schoolboy Q. That was at the Rape, right? Yeah. We met everyone at, like, we met a couple people at TDE, and then Ish's other manager, who was my mentor, Amanda, knew someone at TDE through somebody, and then we ended up reaching out, um, ended up connecting um, with uh, 
people over at TDE and then we just asked like, hey, can Ish go on tour with Absol? And they're like, yeah, let's do it. Mm. And we ended up going on tour with Absol. Wow. Um, that was really fun. We did this, the whole tour for free. Um, and it was tight. I mean, it was a good experience. So then um, how did that uh, eventually, like um, doing everything you were doing back then, segue into uh, how you got involved with Backline? Yeah, so I managed Ish until December of 2017. 2017. So I managed him for about four or five years. Um, and um, yeah, so in December 2017, I mean, after working for so long, I mean, at that point, I had known Ish for like over seven years. Um, it was just, we had like completely different ideas of where we wanted to go yeah. just separately um so we decided to stop working together um and i was going to move to new york so first i was going to move to new york um i got a job out there working for a label yeah um but throughout that process um my parents are immigrants from mexico mm -hmm. my dad was going through the whole like legal stuff during the trump era stuff yeah um which got tricky um so I ended up, I couldn't leave because I was his petitioner, so he would become a citizen. Um, so I wasn't allowed to leave. Well, I could have left, but if something went wrong, I would have to left, like leave and yeah. come right away, which it was just too much. It was too stressful and it was like too up in the air for me to just kind of like say, oh, I'm just leave you guys. Yeah, um, right. So uh, I decided to stay. So I had my studio here, which my studio was running pretty successfully. I was making pretty good money as an engineer yeah. and then I was still managing a couple people on the side uh, still managing some producers um, and then doing some consulting as well on the side so I ended up sticking around and throughout that process from like January of 2018 through like April I started giving away a bunch of resources so um, I was giving away people like how do you get on playlists some free distribution and how do you do a press release so I just started using like my platform on social media to just be like who needs help? I'll give you help. Um, April comes around and 88.9 and Generator announced that they want to do this musician accelerator program. They didn't know what it was going to look like. They had just started fundraising money and were expecting to hire someone to run it and they were going to build it as they go. Yeah. Um, so I ended up getting hired in May and then they basically gave me a canvas of like, this is what we wanted to do. Um, can you build it? And I was like, cool, I'll build it. So I built the program from the ground up, uh, ended up doing recruiting during the same time, and then we just kind of launched our first program. Um, but I was very skeptical of the program before I even got hired. My first interview was less about I want the job, but more so like what the fuck are you guys doing and how are you guys really going to help the community? Yeah. Um, and I guess that's the reason why they hired me. They were just yeah. like, you're so skeptical that this might just work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Sure. Uh, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I guess like how would you say like, uh, I mean, obviously like you, in order to be a manager in the first place, like it comes with a lot of like understanding of um, the music industry and, uh, you know, how artists infiltrate said industry, but like what, how did Backline, I guess, like the experience that you've had thus far, like how has it furthered your understanding and your ability to like really you know, uplift your community. It's like, I feel like I got in the industry way too young, younger than I should have been allowed to get into the industry. Um, I mean, I was like 18, 17 when I first jumped into the industry. Yeah. Um, and a lot of my career was basically just trial and error. Um, 
So I was able to look back at the last, you know, I'm 24 now. I got hired when I was um, 20, I had, how old was I? When I, I guess 23. I got hired when I was 23. Um, and at that point I had like six, five, six years in the industry. Yeah. Um, so I was able to look at some of the mistakes that I had done and we had done, Ish and I, um, and some of the successes and what worked, but also I leaned on my mentors, man. Like mm. I, I, I preach the idea of getting mentors. Um, and sometimes people think this idea of a mentor is that this person is gonna come to you and be like, hey, I wanna mentor you. When really, man, most mentorship is like you going up to people you wanna learn from and hitting them up and hitting them up until they help you and then you just learn from them. That is not a mentor. Even if they only taught you one lesson or they responded to one of your emails, yeah. that person is now a mentor. There's people are called mentors that probably don't consider themselves mentors yeah. of mine. But I learned from them. Um, whether it was just observating them or asking them questions or reaching out to them. Um, so yeah, I mean, I see backline as like a, I feel like this is my, there's two, two, two ways. So I see this as two things, right? I think, because um, I like living in a world where like, I think you have to be humble, but you also have to be realistic of like the impact that you do, yeah. right? Um, for example, like this podcast for you, right? This can be seen as two ways for you, right? One, you're giving someone a platform to talk about the shit that they got going on, which ultimately benefits the person in this chair, yeah, right? right? But at the end of the day, this podcast benefits you more than anyone else, right? Yeah. Right? And I think that goes down to like politicians, anyone in a position of leadership and power, even if they're helping hundreds and hundreds of people, yeah. if you help a hundred people, that one person that helped a hundred people benefits more than the a hundred people that they helped. So I see this position as two ways. One, I get access to help people financially and resources, et cetera, put them onto the industry. Yeah. But I also have to have a clear understanding that I benefit from this more than any artist that I help because it gives me a, a sense of like power, quote unquote, it gives me resources, I get paid for it ultimately. Yeah. Um, and I get to help musicians on a larger scale with real resources. Yeah. Um, and I think that creates a level of accountability um, for a person like me or anyone that has a position like mine. That like, yeah, not only are you allowed to help people, but you also will benefit from this if you do a good job at yes. it. So I think that's that's where I leverage, right? Because a, yeah. a lot of people see like, man, Mag, you're doing amazing stuff for musicians, but they yeah. don't see the other side where like, Mag, you're also benefiting a lot. Yes, yeah, yeah. So um, having that clear understanding of like, you know, it just creates like a really good leverage. I think life is all about balance and it creates mm -hmm. a lot of balance in my life. So like, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I'm very passionate about my work. Yeah. Hopefully that all answers the question. It does. No, it absolutely does. Actually, that opens such a wide view of like how, yeah, like when you are platform, when your job is literally to like platform and give leverage to other artists to succeed, yeah. then you're absolutely right. Like it does at the end of the day, like it, it, it helps actualize me and my own goals and it allows me to, you know, gain insight from people I would never would have gained it from otherwise. It mm. gives me the the skills to properly drive a conversation or it gives me the ability to f more frequently than I already do, like, you know, exit my comfort zone yeah. and then bring those outside of it into it. Yeah. Um, which is kind of what this show has allowed me to do, yeah. even as with this platform is like, well, you know, there's a lot of people where it's like, 
you know, six months ago, before I was doing this, I was thinking, well, shit, I wish I, I wish I could like just have a conversation with that dude. <laughs> you were one of them. Like, I literally was at the the uh, backline uh, showcase. It was my first time ever, like, like seeing you, like, no, like knowing who you were. Yeah. And I was like, man, I just wanted to talk to Mag, and I wanted to learn about how, like, you know, like what his outlook is on succeeding in this industry, and just how he, you know. How he makes brings his own like personality and his experience into his in, into his profession, yeah. and here we are. Yeah. And this came, and this ultimately came from you know knowing what I'm good at and also knowing what I need to be better at. Yeah. And I think that that goes for anyone that opens such a like an, an open ended format where you know in your case it's you know. And like all these artists that are applying to be in backline, like how can that benefit you, and teach you about how you can, you know, different ways you can, you know, help accommodate an artist, help, you know, grant an artist opportunities. How an artist will teach you about yourself in one way or another. And like, yeah. I learn left and right things about, you know, how people operate and how someone's creative process manifests through the guests in the show, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. To touch on that, he didn't just come up to me and talk to me. He came up to me at this event and made me, I'm gonna look at the camera for this. <laughs> yeah. He made me pull out my phone and he said, I added you, I sent you a request on Facebook. Can you add me yeah. right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he made me pull out my phone and physically add him. I, I, I had to see it. I had to see it done. Yeah, that was at the the backline green green the green room party. The green room yeah. party. You no came to studios. The, yeah, you came to the, like the smallest one. It was like the middle of a snowstorm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I think, I mean, just to like keep touching on that piece, like, it's not something that I consciously think about. Like, nothing that I do is like I need to do this because it's gonna benefit me. It's more so with the position that I have, I create my metrics, right? Yeah. Like. When I got hired, their idea of what this job was supposed to be was very minimal. My job was literally, you need to select four musicians and give them $20,000. That was it, right? Like, that was the job. Yeah. I took it from, let's just give these artists money to, like, let's take them to L.A., let's take them to New York, let's have them meet labels, Apple Music, etc. Let's yeah. Let's do this, let's create a rollout strategy, let's yeah. put them in the studio, right? Mm -hmm. So, I was able... Because I knew if this program becomes successful, it will only allow me to make an impact in my field. And for that to happen, like I could have took the salary and took the benefits that come with the job and just ride it out yeah. to this, like, till it, whatever, start, till we stop yeah. getting funding. Yeah. But I knew that that's just not in my character, yeah. right? Um, so, yeah, just to like, I just wanted to clarify that piece. Oh, of course, yeah. Because, like, I mean, I same with me, like, I don't. I don't think about, well, this is going to, like, you know, this is going to be, like, what is going to, like, take me to the next level or anything like that. Because, like, you know, if if that happens naturally, it will. Like, at the end of the day, the show is not a... It's, like, I don't do this show because it's, like, I want to show off everything I know. It's what... it's The show is about my guests and yeah. how, you know, everyone has their own ways of their own routes to success and their own ways of expressing their passions and doing what they do and it takes you outside of your box you know because like a lot of us live in boxes of our own consciousness and our own reality and it's like well 
you know, the world is, the world exists the way I see it because this is just like my own subjective way of understanding it. But everyone has their own way of doing that. And it just helps with like, you know, just at the end of the day, there's the more people, you know, that, you know, the, the more voices we have, the more we can make sense of everything, you know? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I feel it. 100%. Yeah. So like, I mean, you've, kn so you've known like Ish Buddha and Wait for a very long time, yeah. um, like way before you even working with them professionally. Mm -hmm. So how did, how would you say like, uh, working with them, like professionally, like, um, taught you more about them, like, or I guess how, how it, how you like learn to separate like your personal relationship with your professional relationship with somebody you're so close to? Uh, I think honestly that's the biggest lesson that I learned in all this piece. I think that's a big portion of why um, I don't work with them anymore. Um, I think that's uh, if, if I learned one lesson in the industry is like you have to learn how to separate personal and professional. Um, not that there was like a fallout or anything, but it's like um, in those settings it was weird. I think that dynamic was very, very interesting in its own because we were all around the same age group. We all came from the same place. We all started at the same place where it was like, we're all homies. But the moment you turn the switch on, we're like, you know, I'm the manager or I'm the person that needs to, because my job is always the coordinator. I need to get us from A to B yeah. and everyone else is just here for the ride. Um, it's hard. It's one of the yeah. hardest pieces that I've learned and now I have created that balance in every single professional relationship that I have. Um, and it's something that I'm still learning, right? Yeah. And I think that's, um, but now especially like in Backline, one of the first conversations that I have with the musicians that go through the back program is like, look, I'm never gonna be an authority figure mm -hmm. because ultimately I'm not the person in charge of your career. You are the person in charge of your career. I am here as a mediator and a bridge to get you from A to B, C to D, mm -hmm. et cetera. But the moment you disrespect that bridge, who's myself, I'm that yeah. bridge that's getting you there, I can close, I can put the gate up and be like, look, we're done. Yeah. Um, so, and that's something that I didn't do because I didn't know how to do it, especially because yeah. we were so young. I was 19 managing a 17 year old, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And we did it for so long. And like I said, for a big, I mean, Ish was one of my, if not my closest friend throughout that whole period, because I was talking to him more than I was talking to my girlfriend, my family. Yeah. I mean, we were traveling so much that a big portion of like why we don't work together now was at that period of time when we decided to not work to each other, we didn't know if it was friendship or if it was business. So yeah. every conversation we had, there was no yeah. balance. Yeah, it gets, uh, it gets mixed up a lot. It gets yeah. mixed up too much. Right. We're like, last night we were at the club, and the next day we're having a meeting about what we're doing, yeah. you know, so, but, at the club, were you my manager or were you my client yeah. or were we there just kicking it? So it's yeah. like that balance, yeah. it gets thrown around too much. So something that I've learned now through, you know, after talking to people, it's like you have to, that relationship can only be business, mm -hmm. right? It has to be business be before it becomes a friendship. And I yeah. think that's the reason why we stopped working, well, not just with Ish, but like Buddha and Every, I mean, I think most of my clients are around that era because I stopped working with a lot. Like after I stopped working with Ish, I basically stopped working with a lot of people. I, I just like stopped it. Yeah. Because um, I'm like, I want to start fresh just for like my own career. 
I learned so much, but I didn't I didn't see myself going in that same direction that I wanted to go. Yeah. Um, and like I said, and none of that had to do with like any nobody was doing anything wrong, right? Like no one necessarily was like fucking up. Right. It was more so. It was so new for everybody, yeah. right? No one goes into making music like I, we're gonna be. Anyone who actually makes it in music doesn't start off the conversation as we're gonna be the. Like when you started that, when you started this podcast, your first idea wasn't, "I want this to be the biggest podcast in the world," right? No, yeah, no, no. And if in a year it becomes the biggest podcast in the world, you know, it's gonna be new to you. It's gonna be like, holy shit, this is the biggest podcast in the world, and now I got something to live up to. So like. That's what that's what happened, right? When me and Ish and Buddha and Wave were all making music in high school, our mentality was never like we're gonna be the artists or the creatives in Milwaukee putting Milwaukee on the map. That's something yeah. we heard about, but that was we were never going into the studio with that mentality. Mm -hmm. You know, when Ish and I first did that first mixtape, and then we did even after you went on tour with Absol, no one really even knew who Ish was. Then we did the mixtape, and the mixtape went was all over the place. Like people didn't know that like Ish was on the front page of like Apple Music yeah. when his album came out, and all this like stuff was happening. We went to Europe, we came back, and it's like even while while everything was happening, we just thought it was just happening. Yeah, and we thought more was gonna happen. Then yeah. he got the movie with Matthew McConaughey, and we're just like, this is just happening. Yeah, but. So no one really knows what's happening, yeah. for the most part. It just happens. Yeah. And then it comes down to a point where like, what is it that you really want? Then people start asking you. I think that's the problem. A lot of times the problems never start with the creators and the people in it. it it's about the people around it, right? Yeah. Or side of the bubble. They start asking you questions like, what's next? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, like, right, yeah. You know, like you get all these weird, like all these random family are now creeping out the woodwork. Yep. It's like, hey. How you doing, cousin? Right, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So it's like, yeah. you know, a big portion of it, you know. So yeah, I mean, back to just like, to run it back to like the, the piece of like the relationship and like how do you, um, the relationships never really change, right? Like I can still text Ish, like Ish will still text me, I'll text yeah. him. Granted, the relationship isn't the same anymore, mm -hmm. um, but like that's okay, yeah. right? Because yeah. now, you know, after you spend so much time with someone for so long, it's like, you need to step away. And, um, like, I don't really talk to any of those guys anymore, like, on a personal level. Yeah. But it's like, I still, like, in my heart, they're like, they're still my brothers, right? Like, yeah. I still wish them well. I know they wish me well. And it's like, but I think a lot of that piece has to do with, like, you know, understanding that a lot of the impact doesn't happen within. Like, none of us really change internally. We only change because of the external. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully that all answers that. Yeah, you know, of course it does. Um, yeah, like, it's like, I feel like it's uh, comparable to, like, sort of like the relationship you have with friends where, you know, especially in college, like, where you're friends with somebody and then you decide to live with them. You don't always, <laughs> yeah, you don't always, like, mesh well as roommates. Mm -hmm. um, I know that I didn't with certain people, yeah. and that's okay, you know, just lifestyles are totally different, but, um, like, th there are some people, you know, I would never live with again, but <laughs> there's also people that I felt like I, uh, like, clicked with pretty well when it came to sharing a living space, and, like, yeah. it's kind of, I feel like 
it's sort of similar to, you know, your relationship balancing that personal and professional life where it's like, well, you know, when we're occupying something that means so much to us and we're sharing that, mm -hmm. you know, you, you have to be on a certain page uh, in, in many aspects when it comes to things like money, things like goals, things like work ethic, things like, you know, simply just how you conduct yourself in front of other people. Um, that's, those are things that, you know, you consider when you're looking for something as simple as a roommate mm -hmm. or you're looking at something as like simple as, you know, someone that you are deciding to work with professionally. Like I used to be, uh, um, uh, an event coordinator for J3 studios, mm -hmm. uh, over at the East side. We had, uh, we were all best friends. Mm -hmm. Um, we were all best friends when we decided to do it, and that's what brought us together in the first place. But, you know, in the year run we had, we learned a lot about ourselves and we learned a lot about what to do and what not to do. And um, doing so, like, you know, we all kind of decided to, like, it, it dissolved eventually, and we all went in, like, our own ways. Like, and we, some of us, like, don't work together because of just how a lot of, like, personal. Uh, how it affect, started affecting our interpersonal relationships and just how we just were sharing a space together, how we were treating each other. And, like, and, you know, it's, and that's where, like, our friendship would get mixed with business and mixed with something we're trying to take seriously, you know? I was in a fraternity in, in college. Same thing happened. So I think that, you know, I'm, I wouldn't give any of it back because it taught me about, it set me on this path and it set all of us on our own paths that, you know, led us, you know, whether it's one of us ended up becoming in a band, one of us is uh, working a, you know, full-time salary job in Stevens Point right now, one of us, you know, is uh, moved back to Chicago and, and then there's me, you know, I'm doing this and like I, it, it teaches you a lot about what your path is, you know, what you're in to, you know, expand your self-determination. And that's why it's like, you know, I wouldn't give any of doing any of that back despite like the conflicts you may have had because it just, you know, it set us to where I think we all should be. You know? But I think a big portion of that is you can't give it back, right? I think people talk about yeah. like, I don't regret anything. Re saying I don't regret anything is just, I think it's a lazy way of saying, I can't change shit, yeah. right? Because I think that's so much of it. I, th I feel like even people who regret, like, we all regret certain stuff, right? But it's not necessarily that we regret it. It's just like, you know you hurt someone. Yeah. Anytime we regret something, we think, sometimes we're like, we want to be selfish about it and be like, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Yes. But we wish we didn't have it's not that we didn't wish we didn't do it because for whatever reason we did it we regret that we don't like the consequences that kind of came with that yeah. right whether they were a personal or whatever so like i mean yeah i, I had a lot of conflicts with that because like i'm more i lean towards the perfectionism side mm -hmm. um and a lot of it is like i think a reason why i fell in love with like i think recording music and I, I really I don't have like a background in like theory, right? Yeah. I grew up playing the clarinet. So did I actually. Yeah, I was a clarinet. So like I know how to play notes, but I really have any music theory yeah. 
And like the reason I fell in love with like Pro Tools in particular is because you can record something and edit it and redo it and redo it. The reason I love Photoshop is because if you mess up something, you can redo it and redo it. So in life, there's like no redos, right? So you have to calculate everything. And, you know, but if you calculate too much, you don't leave room for like magic to happen. So like, yeah, I mean, I think that piece of like regret is something that I thought about a lot before. Man, I regret this and I regret that. It's like, no, nah, I don't regret doing it. I just disliked the yeah. consequences or the outcome mm -hmm. that came with the decisions that I made. Yes. Um, and that's, that's the piece that like, if you never, um, and I go to therapy now, right, too, right? So I, I always recommend people go to therapy, right? Yeah. I, don't, I don't go to therapy because I feel like there's anything wrong with me. Like, I mean, I've had, like, anxiety before, but, like, I never went, like, crazy or anything. Mm -hmm. People feel like you only have to go to therapy, especially, like, people of color in particular. It's just, like, uh, you don't go to therapy until, like, they put you in a yeah. building, all sure. right? Um, but something that I learned through therapy is just, like, if you, once you understand that nothing is going to change from the past, the only thing you can change is the way you move forward. In yeah. this moment right now Man. right like i could be an asshole right and just like continue to be an asshole um and just make people mad or just try to be selfish but that will only create more consequences or i could be like i could find an easy medium where like for example i could easily say hey man um i don't like this black thing right yeah. right or I could have just easily came in here and just like put it down without even telling you anything, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. They both would have had the same outcome. Right. I'm pretty sure if I was like, dude, I don't really like this black thing, you would have been like, well, what the you, fuck are you doing? Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like, I feel like the conversation yeah. of like, when, when you don't, so much of it has to do, you know, like I think so much of therapy that I've learned is like communication. Therapy yeah. is just really teaching you how to communicate with other people. Oh, yeah. And that's how you resolve every single problem. Communication yeah. literally solves every oh, single yes. problem. Yeah. Any problem that you have. Yeah. Um, and people struggle with communication. Yeah. A lot. Especially as men. As men. As yeah, men, yeah. yes, dude. I, I've been in uh, therapy for five years. I know it all too well. I've dealt with <laughs> plenty of mental health issues and I know that, yeah. you know, we, especially as men, like we're very conditioned to not address where we have had, where we, you know, where our flaws are and mm -hmm. just where, you know, there's room for improvement. And, yeah. you know, I, I try and, and that's, you know, you touched on a lot of really important things, like, especially concerning regret, because there'll be times where like, I will say like, man, I regret doing this or like, oh shit. like. I wish that never happened, but if it didn't happen, I wouldn't have learned from it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have had such a profound emotional reaction to it. Yeah. And that wouldn't have, and in turn, that wouldn't have, uh, you know, prompted me to be better or to learn. And, you know, I now, and you know, there's, there will always be times where I think like, well, shit, I wish, I wish you know, I would have had this knowledge at this time or I wish I would have done something differently. But, but yeah, like, fuck regret because you can't change the past and you cannot fucking, you cannot dwell on it either. Mm -hmm. The only thing you need to dwell on is where you may, where justice still needs to be served, where you may need to still own up to something you did wrong that you don't know how to, yeah. which 
again, a lot of us men have to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I, I, I no, I, I totally agree. Like, I, I think that most of my life experiences have made me into, you know, the proudest person I have been up to this point. And I, you know, I think that uh, you, you could relate to that. Yeah. I mean, I think that you, you touch on a very, like, big, important thing about, like, men in particular. And oh, the, yeah. And the pro- I mean, toxic masculinity, I think, is the, the problem that we have as humans. Every you can't name a single problem that can't be yes. solved by working on toxic masculinity. Yeah. I mean, you think about climate change, right? Most scientists in the world who are against climate change are men. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think. I mean, you look at problems that are happening within every church, yeah. every religion. Most religions are ran by men, right? Yeah. It's like government ran by men Um, even like local problems organization problems um, you know corporation like most problems can be solved if we worked on toxic masculinity and at the root of it it starts with men don't know how to deal with emotion they don't know how to work on their emotion they don't know how to deal with emotion our only emotion is anger Yes. The only emotion that men are ever comfortable yeah. is like being angry. Right. It's like I can be angry. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like men can't be sad. Yeah. Men can't be excited. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like anger, and you know, if men don't like being wrong, right. like, and like I said, we all have hints and pieces of toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, man, that that's a huge, huge problem, and it's something yeah. that I just learned honestly. Within like the last year and a half, I've learned so much about like toxic toxic masculinity yeah. and like how we can. I think as men, I think the closest piece, like a, a big portion of like my work, has now become towards like helping people of color, right? In particular, like in white America, and like how do we help people of color basically get more resources? Yeah, but in that fight with and this is just more like my personal mission i also understand that i have to be an ally to women the same the same the same like outcome that i want from white people to be an ally to and you know what i mean by being an ally of course right? yeah. Yeah. so like the same way i want white people to be an ally to people of color me as a man i have to be an ally to women yeah all women yeah um and i think that's a conversation that a lot of men aren't having people feel uncomfortable like yeah. You know, people think that, and I've had this conversation with a couple of men. They're like, "Man, I hold the door for women." And I'm like, "Dude, that's not being an ally." No. I think even the idea of what a gentleman is is filled with toxic masculinity. Yeah, right. Because it's we are expected a reward in return. Yes, you're, you've hit it spot on. I am in the same boat. I've learned a lot about toxic masculinity in the last year, and it, it, it's that. Like you said, men are in places of power and they always have been. You know, it's just been, whether it's in religion, societies, corporations, just in any fundamental way of making decisions, men are always there. Yeah. And when it gets challenged, like that that dominant, like alpha complex that a lot of men get, it gets triggered and it, it causes men to act out and it causes them to... Literally go go fucking nuts, you know, and like like we when that gets challenged, like like a lot of men that have not 
address that, they fucking lose their shit. It's hard to understand unless, like, you really, like, actually sit and listen to the voices of, you know, our, you know, our sisters and, um, you know, basically, and just women that, uh, you know, have been, that have been societally, like, been, uh, put under, like, you know, male normative society for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so, I also wanted to touch on this, so, like, you, I know that you're also, like, as you said, you know, you, um, have been, you, you're passionate about addressing, like, you know, various, you know, racial disparities in our city. I, re- I remember you posting, uh, the, the video recently yeah. of you were called the cops on. Yeah. You want to elaborate on exactly what happened and just where it's what it speaks to the culture of. Yeah, man. So we threw this party for my guy's birthday um, in Walker's Point, which is primarily a Hispanic community currently being gentrified. Um, and yeah, we threw this party and like the party was supposed to end at midnight, right? 12, 1230. Yeah. That's when we told them we were going to end it at like 1130-ish. My guy who we had at the door comes comes inside. He's like, hey, man, there's this guy that's tripping out outside. And I was like, I'm like, okay. Um, well, tell him to go away. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, not, right, I'm right. having a good time in here. Yeah. He's like, okay, cool. He goes and he goes upstairs. And 15 minutes later, he, like at 11.45, he comes up to me and he was like, he's like, hey, man, this guy's not going away. I need you to come handle this because he's starting to get a little aggressive. So I go outside and I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? Older white guy, um, of course. Little mad, and he he starts yelling, and I was just like, "Okay, man, like you're tripping." I'm like, "I'm allowed to be here. If you want to call the police, call the police. I'm going back inside." So I go back downstairs again, and then my guy comes back up to me. He's like, "Dude, this guy's freaking out. Please." So when I went back downstairs, I told him to put the music down a little bit, right? So I go back upstairs, and I'm just like, "Dude, what's going on?" He starts yelling and yelling. He's on the phone with like the landlord or whatever. And then that's when the video starts. So at the video starts, I'm like, dude, can you stop yelling? He's like, put the music down. I was like, I'll put the music down. Can you start? So I'm giving him space. I'm like, can you please put the music? I'm, I was like, can you please stop yelling? And he's yelling on the phone. He's like, if you don't come over here, I'm gonna call the fucking cops. Blah, blah, blah. Like they're, they're underage drinking and this and that. And I'm just like, Yo, no one's underage drinking, man. Yeah. I'm like, stop yelling, man. Just like, I'm like, yo, just stop yelling. I'll do whatever you, my guy's like, dude, I'll give you 200 bucks. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And he was like, he was mad and then he ends up shoving me. So he ends up pushing me. Holy shit. And I was just like, like when he first happened, like my first immediate was like, oh, you got me fucked up, man. Like, yeah. it's, it's, you got me. And at this point, I like, I, I rush over and then my guy pushes me back. He's like, dude, it's not worth it. And the gate, he, the guy closes the gate, he goes inside. And at this point, I ended up just shutting out the party. I told everyone, oh, the, the party's gonna end in like 30 minutes. And he was like, guys, the party's gonna end in 30 minutes. Neighbors freaking out. Let's all just go to a bar. So I ended up shutting it down. Everyone leaves, like no one even knows what happened. Anyone who was at the party does not know that this happened because like we managed it outside. Everyone's leaving. And my commitment was I was gonna do a quick cleanup, mop real quick, and then we were all gonna go to the bar. Everyone was already waiting at the bar. Um, so I start like cleaning up. It's me, my girlfriend, and her friend, and then my guy who was outside with me when the whole thing was happening. He was waiting outside in case the police showed up. Yeah. Police never showed up. 
um, we're cleaning up and then this guy comes back up again and he called his friend. His friend shows up trying to intimidate us. Like he was, he supposedly is a, a cop and he was off duty. I don't know what, what was even happening. So he ends up yelling at my girlfriend and her friend like while they're outside. I won't quote him because it's like, it's unnecessary. The whole thing got kind of like, um, so yes, yeah, so at this point I ended up locking up and we ended up just leaving. Cause like, I, I, I don't know, man. White people are crazy, man. I'm sorry. And at this no point, need to apologize. <laughs> we are fucking crazy. And I was just like, man, I'm about to just get out of here. I don't want to take it out of hand. Yeah. The next day I post a video. Um, it goes kind of viral for a little second. And the own, the, the person who were renting from the venue, who was a tenant of the space, calls me. She's like, "Hey, like, I know what you're trying to do, and I fully respect it. But you already got a hold of the alderman. You got a hold of the landlord. Like, everything else is just gonna be extra. And you mentioned our our venue, and I don't really want that energy. And I don't want people to try to like, you know, I don't want this to escalate. She was more fearing for her business, and I was just like." I respect that. So I put down the video. At this point, I'm already in conversations with the um, landlord, the alderman, and then the landlord of his businesses, right? So I had already connected to with them. They had all called me. I never, I didn't reach out to any of them. Yeah. They reached out to me. They told me what happened, and I told them what happened. The things that bothered me the most of that situation was we were doing nothing wrong, right? And if we were doing something wrong in a Right in another universe, if something, if we were actually doing something wrong, you call. If I was that guy, you call the police and you let the police handle it. If you truly thought we were breaking into an establishment and throwing a party, why would you try to confront them? It doesn't make any sense. And, and, yeah. and by yourself, and I don't think he was moving off of fear. I, I think he was moving to provoke. I think he was trying to use his white privilege to make us look like we were the problem. Yeah. And when he came down and we were treating him with, like if you look at the video, we were treating him with respect. I was just like, look, we'll turn down the music. Let's have a conversation. And he's yelling and yelling. And he, he wanted us to get aggressive with him. And that's why he pushed me. He yeah. knew if he pushed me, you would react. I would react. Yeah. Yeah. And then he wanted us to hit him and whatever. And then he becomes the victim. Yeah. And to me, that's the problem. I think that's the piece of like white privilege that people don't see and, and white individuals see that like, if you get a, if, as a white, if a white person gets aggressive with me, right? Yeah. You punch me first, right? And then I'm with my people, right? Like, what's the one thing that when white people know that they're wrong, right? Or privileged and particularly white people, when white people know that they're wrong, the first thing that they do, when they realize that they're wrong, they get real aggressive and they start yeah. throwing racial <laughs> yeah, words in yeah. the mix because they know at that point they're gonna get violated, they're gonna get punched, they're yeah. gonna get jumped. And if you see any video where it happens, it's usually one white person yelling at a numerous white people because they're like, I, I know I messed up, I might as well get jumped so people sympathize me, yeah, right? Yeah. So like, I saw that in his face, he knew he was wrong. And at this point, he's like, the only way I don't feel that wrong is if they hurt me. And that's what he wanted from us. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't going to give him that. And my friends, luckily, like the friends that I had around weren't going to give the, give him that either. And I think that's what bothered him the most. Because after he left, he came back out when the party was cleared. We yeah. were cleaning up and he tried to start it. Trying to provoke you again. Again and yeah. again. And the next day, so when I talked to the alderman and they saw the videos and they were just like, no, oh, this is unacceptable. And 
he owned a business. So he owned, he was he was about to open up a venue around the street, uh, like a block away. And I told him I was like, look, if he opens up that venue, I will make sure he doesn't get business. I will use every single resource in my network that I have to make sure he gets no business. Yeah. And sure enough, he basically he voluntarily walked away from the business that he was about to open up. So, um, yeah, so I mean, that ended up happening. And I think with me, it was like, I personally, like, if I'm being 100% honest, like, I, I didn't want that, like, like, because he's been messaging me a lot. He messages me at least, like, two, three times a week. Wow. Um, I never respond to him. Um, mostly because I feel like it's harassment. Yeah. And he had so many people reach out to me that were people of like he purposely went out and started reaching out to people of color to message me and basically have them convince me that because he liked people of color he wasn't racist oh and they God. and then he asked he made he made them ask me if basically trying to like make me prove to them why he was racist. Oh my right, God. and it was just like it was one of, and like I said, man, he got, he had some pretty high profile people. Like it, it went up to like, like Anthony Pettis's girlfriend reach out to me. Wow, and I was just like, all respect to her. Like she's done, she's doing amazing stuff for the community, and she didn't know what was happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, when this whole thing happened, and I was just like, I tried to explain to every single one of these people, I'm like, look, nothing you guys say, once you see this video, it, it completely, like I don't. I don't care how many people of color are his friends. And I hate the word people of color. Like, I hate, like, I don't care how many friends he has or how many organiz organizations he helped. That doesn't change the fact of what he did that night. That shows his true color. Yep. If you go to that guy's Facebook right now, since the incident, every single day or every time he posts on Facebook, he tries to make it about people of color. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course he does. Yeah. yeah so right. It's like virtue signaling. And I'll tell you, man. Do I, I feel bad that that man lost his business? I think the the human in me is like, damn. You know, he, he lost business. He lost yeah. some money. But on the other side, it's like things have consequences. Yeah. And he needed to understand. And I and like I went and did my research on this guy before any of this. He has done some fucked up shit. Yeah. Full disclosure, this man has done some fucked up shit. He put a lady in a hospital you know Jesus. a couple of years ago who was just doing her job really so it's like yeah like i saw the report like this lady was towing his car because he was parked where he wasn't supposed to park he ends up trying to reverse while she's like putting the thing under his car she ends up like literally flying ends up in the hospital wow all because he did he he has never accepted his consequences and has always tried to use his privilege and in that report they didn't even include his name. They didn't put wow. a picture in him. Oh my God. So I think it was one of those things where it's just like, you know, he needed to like, I hate to say it in this way, but he needed to learn that like, and I hope, I think he did learn. And I think now he's definitely learned his lesson, but things in life have consequences. I think going back to the re regret priest, like, like the regret piece that like, he can't regret this. No. You know, and if he does regret it, he can't change it. Yeah. But I know he learned a lesson. And maybe he treats people with respect now. And maybe all these posts that he's doing on Facebook are genuine now. Maybe he went and did his research and said, I was racist. Yeah. 
a piece of me is racist and it's because I didn't understand my privilege and I was trying to get something away from these people and how many other times has he has he done this and maybe at the end of the day he fucked up he, he yeah. fucked with the wrong one like in the clearest terms yeah. like he shouldn't have approached me in that way and I told him very clear when all this is I was like dude I'm sorry because you're messing with the wrong person and that's the other thing that made me that triggered me in this whole situation is like I know I have a platform. I know I have resources. So I can, why, I know this wasn't the first time this happened, but it was the first time people took action because I know people in the community that ended up calling me yeah. didn't want me to attack them. Or, or have, like, you know, they knew that I had a platform. Yeah. And with that platform, no one wanted to get in trouble. So it's like, oh, he has a platform? Let's yeah. make sure this gets handled now. Got to make sure I'm on his good side. Yeah, and, and a lot of people reached out to me, man. And like a lot of people were like, man, I had this situation that happened with him. Like I had at least 10 people who reached out to me and they told me their, their situations with them and no one heard them when it happened. So, I mean, I, I think the human in me felt bad, but I think... At the end of it, you know, caramel is real, man. Yeah, it, it fucking is, dude. I, and that's where, like, you know, I, I, I'm a firm believer in karma, man. Yeah. A firm believer in karma. And another uh, example that's um, sort of um, relatable to what you're saying is, uh, I'm sure you saw the UW, um, the dude that, held up a swastika sign mm -hmm. outside of a of an israel related event yeah like you know as a jew i think like well i i, I like that guy was trying to he was seeing what you he, he was seeing what he could get away with you yeah. know he was seeing what he could um just basically what he could do like what he could get away with for the sake of principle, which was in his case free speech, but you know that shit went viral. You know, like you know that like and like like and rightfully so. Like you know, it was put on a on a public format that this guy was host was holding up a hate sign in front of uh, something that is sacred to Jews mm -hmm. and. Um, you know, like, I think, well, that guy has ruined his life, and he'll never be able to take that back, but, you know, I don't feel bad for him, and I, I won't, because he, you know, he thought, he, like, literally, he did something just to try to prove a, a silly point, and, and, you know, holding up a symbolism of the, the, of the murder and persecution of my people, well... I, I have no remorse for you. I mean, yeah, you fucked your whole life up, but you did that to yourself, man. Yeah. You know, I... And you see a lot of people doing that. Yeah. Um, but you know what, man? I think I think a big portion of this, and, and this is the way I view it, right? So I've dealt with that shit numerous times in my life, right? Like, I moved, I moved out of the South Side in 2017 and I moved to West Dallas, right? And I think, to me, in my perspective, was like, I need to get out of the hood, right? It was just like, I, I was born, raised in the hood and I was the South Side and I was just like, man, I make a little bit more money now. Like, yeah. let me move out, right? Yeah. 
I wasn't unsafe in the South Side. Like, it was, it was home. But I was just like, man, I want a nice apartment. I want central air. Yeah, yeah, up, that's true. In three months, I got ran out by a neo-Nazi group in my neighborhood. Right. Wow. So this ended up happening 2017. In West Alice. In West Alice, yeah. Holy fuck. Yeah. So I ended up getting ran out of this. So with me, it was like, and when it happened, this dude, neo-Nazi kid, was in the back of my apartment complex, like, writing, like, he had, like, a swastika and, like, putting all kinds of racial slurs on, on, on the garage, right? Yeah, right. By our parking lot. And when I, I saw him doing it, I went outside and I simply told him, I was like, look, man, I don't care about your beliefs. Right, like I don't, I'm not here to change you. I'm just, he had parked on my parking spot. And I was like, dude, you're parking on my parking spot and I don't want to be held liable for this. Can you just move your car, go park down the street and you can continue whatever the fuck you're doing. And he didn't listen to me. So I get close, I was like, hey man, I'm talking to you. I don't care what you're doing. Can you just move your car out of my parking spot? He gets in his car and he yells something out the window and I'm just like, pardon me? And he was like, he's like, let's see if he still has something to say when I pull up. And I was like, oh, okay. White people are crazy. So I go inside. I was living my thought. I go inside and I tell my girlfriend and my guy, my girlfriend is Jamaican and Honduran. So, you know, she's Afro-Latina. Sure. Um, and my guy was Ali, who's an African-American. And um, so we ended up... I go inside and I'm just like, guys, like, let's get out of here. I don't want to deal with this mess. I like my apartment. Let's just get out of here. So we get in the car and we end up driving off. As we're driving off, this guy is like pulling back into with a gun in his car. Oh, fuck. Like literally waving out of the window. So we get in this car, we end up driving off. I call the police, right? Yeah. My first thing is like, look, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not the person to call the police when shit goes. If something was happening in the south side, I'm not calling the police, right? But at this situation is like, there's too much going on. I'm gonna just call the police because I don't, like at, at, at this point, like I didn't know who to call, yeah. right? I have this dude chasing me around in a white neighborhood. I don't want to be on the other side of it. Yeah. Cause I can see how this could turn out, right? Like a gun thing happens. They're yeah. gonna automatically bane the people of color. So I called was like, hey, I'ma just let y'all, I didn't even know how to call 911. When I, this is my first time calling 911 in my life and I'm like, hey, this is weird, but this neo-Nazi dude was writing KKK stuff on our garage and he's chasing me around with a gun. The police on the other side tell me, well actually we're on the other line with him and he says you're chasing him with a gun. And I'm like, well, how about I meet you guys at Target on the parking lot and you guys can come check if I have a gun. They're like, no. <coughs> if you want us to basically help you, if you indeed need help, then you gotta meet us at your house. Now, so you want me to go back to the place where this guy started chasing me with a gun? They're like, yes. <coughs> I'm like, okay, well I'm good. I'm just gonna hang up and I'm gonna go about the rest of my day. So I ended up hanging up. Oh my God. So I ended up calling my landlord my landlord ends up showing up to the apartment. He ends up seeing all this stuff. My landlord, who's also white, called me and he's like, hey, yeah, this seems like it's gonna wash away. It's just like marker or something. So it's not a huge deal. I'm like, this guy chased me around with a gun. He's like, do you have any proof of that? I'm like, my, my own landlord. Oh my God. <laughs> so the police at this point thinks I'm the problem. 
Yeah. Right. So then my landlord calls me. Like, hey, I talked to the police. So I guess the guy ended up calling the police as he's chasing us and told them that we had a gun. So, which we didn't have a gun. Um, the police then tells me that I either had to go to the police or they're going to put a, a warrant out for my arrest. Because my landlord... So I ended up going to the police station, whatever. So, like, end of the day, the police basically ended up telling me that they couldn't protect me. So I had to just get out. So my landlord broke my lease and he said, you could go. So I had dealt with racist stuff before. And to me, it's like... I, I don't... My perspective has never been change the mind of, of racist people. Because that's not my goal. Right? I know if you're racist or someone's racist, it's fear-driven. Right? Anyone who is a racist, it's driven more by fear than it is by pride. Right? Like anyone historically race racism has been rooted by fear right like i understand scientifically why people have the the weak gene right if you have a child with a person of color your child is no longer white yeah right like so i can see how people can manipulate ideas about this pure race and <clears throat> historically i've done my research right like racism <coughs> as a whole was rooted by this idea of lower class white people came to the United States and in Europe and all of a sudden everyone has started being seen as one race well, historically like you know I know that like you know people you know like Italian Polish you know even Jewish like there was like a lower class white people who other white people saw as inferior then the United States became a whole country where it was literally black and white and Native American and Mexican. And it became this idea of like, we're all white. So all the people that got treated like shit, which were like the lower white people ended up becoming ultimately the racist people, mm -hmm. right? Not to say that the people on top weren't racist, but economically they were set up in a different position where like they didn't have to be racist. Yeah. I'm wealthy, you're not wealthy, I don't really care. So in the white system it became classism, then it became racism, whatever. <clears throat> so I, in my perspective, I'm not trying to change racism, right? I know racism's gonna exist. Yeah. People are gonna be prejudiced. <clears throat> I don't care about that. I'm all about the empowerment of people of color, and women and I know if I have the platform to basically say look if you want to be racist go and be racist in your own community you're not going to be racist in my community so that's what it happened after that whole situation happened in West Dallas I moved out of West Dallas and I moved back to the south side and I'm gonna say look I'm gonna go and empower my people and that has become my mission so like what happened in Walker's Point if that would have happened in West Dallas I would have been like, I'm in the wrong community. I can't fight in this community. But this happened in the South Side. And I'm like, cool. You want to do this? You want to be prejudiced in my community? Then you're not going to be allowed in my community. So that's, that's to me, just like circle back on my racial stuff. Yeah, like well, yeah. It has become to me more about um, empowering those people because if you focus on hate you're only going to get hate but if you focus on empowerment you might get some hate but yep. empowerment will happen yeah 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 that's true it impacts somebody that feels like yeah. they can really make a uh, they can make a difference mm -hmm. and so as you know the guy that does back on everything 
you know, what would you say is your advice to emerging artists that want to make a difference in the city of Milwaukee? Yeah, um, I think two things. I think you, and this kind of touches on everything we talked about, you get what you get, right? So I think this idea, and this goes on to any type of creative, um, if you give love and you appreciate the people who support you, you will get love and appreciation back. I, I get to, I, I see so many musicians get caught up in this wave of hate and anger only because they don't know how to express sadness and feeling rejection that they have to throw away. They have to throw all their energy towards hate. We're like, no one in the city fucks with me. And this and that. There's just all, all this ego being thrown out. We're like, I think what you said about toxic masculinity plays into that a lot. Yeah, and I mean, mostly because a lot of our musicians in the city are men. Yes. Um, I think if you want to be successful, you have to give love. Yep. And not only love to the people, but I think life is a cycle of, I think music, even this, right? Well, like this is a recording. Whether or not this becomes successful is dependent on our energy. Our energy is being recorded. I think pictures, yep. some of the most successful images, music, audio, video is recording energy, right? Yep. We think we're recording a visual and audio, but we're really recording energy. And I think musicians that don't have their energy aligned in, in a way where like it's pure and by pure i mean like it's really them you know and and ego is out of the picture and and you can talk about ego what you're talking about can be like people talk about you know all kinds of crazy shit music oh, yeah. but for it to resonate it has to be what it goes back to the idea that you get what you give yes. um and a lot of that like you know, something that I look for when working with musicians is this idea of like, are you kind? Are you a good person? No one wants to work with people that aren't kind anymore. Yeah, right. The dynamic has changed, right? The industry before, like you could be an asshole and make it. You can't be an yeah. asshole and make it anymore. No, you dude. have to be a good, genuine person. You can't be a bully. Fuck bullies, dude. Like, you can't. It's, it's just, and you know what? Like, we've all been a bully. Yeah. At one point, you're right? right. We all can be bullies, but I think, like, I think so much of, and I look back at my, at, at who I was at the beginning of my career, I thought I had to sell this image of who I am and exclusivity, and you can't give everyone the resources. Like, one of the things I've been hearing right now is, like, I'll send out backline applications to people and be like, yo, tell your friends to apply. They're like, no, 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 I feel like I'm the only one that takes it serious. Like, I saw people make statuses about, no, don't, somebody shared the backline application and somebody has a comment, he's like, yo, delete this. He's like, the more applications, the bigger the pool, the lower the chances. And it's just like, you want to give away resources for people because of your own personal gain. When like the reality is like your music might not even be good enough to pick whether those only right. five yeah. applications. Right? Yeah, you don't so even true. know. Yeah. But you have the opportunity to help. And I think I could tell you the some of the artists that have been selected for this program, at least moving forward, is like we're looking for people who are kind. The music industry is looking for people who are kind and are genuine people because it has nothing to do with the relationship between the artists and the labels and the managers and the attorneys, tour managers. It has everything. If you don't know how to treat the people who are investing in you, you won't know 
how to treat the people that are really investing in you, which are the fans, yeah. right? Yeah. You look at any musician who has hundreds and millions of fans, they are usually some of the nicest people in the industry, some mm -hmm. of the most humble people in yeah. the industry. So I think at the core of it, without getting to the idea, is your music good enough? You have to be kind. And honestly, I think your music gets better when you're kind and yeah. you're a good person because then more people want to work with you. Yeah. And at the core of it, I think this leads to my second point of like anyone who wants to be successful, um, collaboration, right? I think if there's one thing that I would have done different throughout my time of managing artists, um, I would have incorporated more collaboration. Um, I think collaboration is key. I think working with people, I think for the most part, I never turned down any opportunity. Um, there's a saying in the music industry, and I'm sure this is relevant to any industry, the people you see going up are the same people you're going to see coming down. And if you don't treat people well um, and never give people an opportunity, that shit will not do you well long term. So I think collaboration, even if the collaboration doesn't benefit you, at the core of it is you get what you give, right? If you give love and you give positivity and you give effort, that shit's gonna come right back to you. Um, so I think that's, I think that, I mean, outside of that, I mean, make good music, but that that's very like, doesn't mean anything. I was gonna say, it's pretty subjective <coughs> when it comes yeah. to good music, cause like, it comes to taste at the end of the day, you know? I used to think that I knew what good music was, yeah. but it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, yeah. I think for the most part, like, that's like me telling you, go make a good podcast, mm -hmm. right? It's like, what does that mean, yeah. right? Like, I think musicians have put this idea of like, an artist in particular that success has to be what's popping right now. But if you only focus on what's popular right now, you make no room for disruption where you won't fit in, right? Like if you're just trying to fit in the same hole everyone's going, you're only, it's gonna make it harder for you. If you open up these other lanes where like, this is me, right? This is mad. Right, this is bad, whatever. Like, it has to be this, you have to be original without trying to be original, just being yourself. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think, but also being realistic. Yep, I think at the, I can't end this without saying that, like, look at the people around you, um, look at people you trust, and if the people you trust are lying to you, if, if you go to every single one of your close friends and they all tell you you're amazing, someone's lying <clears throat> i think maybe go talk to some people because i think there's also this idea of like when do you hang it up i think that's the other piece of like maybe i'm not like for example i thought i was going to be a rapper when i was in eighth grade i thought i was going to be the biggest rapper in the world if i would have kept rapping I wouldn't probably be doing this interview right now. I feel like people wouldn't have the respect for me if I walked around telling everyone I'm gonna be the greatest rapper, only because I never knew when to hang it up. I knew when to hang it up and then transition my effort towards helping musicians instead of trying to be this rapper. And I think we have a lot of creatives and musicians all over the world, not just in Milwaukee, who never knew how to hang it up that could have been more successful if they would have said, maybe I shouldn't be the rapper, maybe I should be the engineer, maybe yeah. I should be the producer. Yeah. Right, maybe I should be the A and R, <clears throat> and I think that's the third piece of like how to be successful. There's tons of, there's more than just being the front man. There's so many opportunities. If you want, if you want to work in music, 
and be successful at it and have a long career being the music, being the front person is the I'm sorry but like it's the worst investment right you can yeah. be a manager for 30 yeah. 40 years it's the odds of you being a successful musician and making it past five years is very very slim right you can learn how to be a good engineer you could be good how to be a good producer you could be a good tour manager um but at the piece of it like to be a very successful superstar it's more than just effort <coughs> just talent it's raw talent so raw talent. Yeah. all that all right mag uh we got through some really important stuff today Holy fuck, I'm red as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> the tequila, man. That fucking tequila, yeah. No, true. Um, yeah, great, uh, you know, great uh, insight about being successful in the music industry and also addressing issues that affect, you know, not only our own community in Milwaukee, but society as a whole. Um, Meg, uh, tell me what keeps you up at night. Uh, aliens. Aliens. Yeah. Man. Well, uh, people are storming Area 51, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, no, Aliens, uh, unless it's real, um, I, I ponder Aliens a lot, too. Yeah. Uh, what, what about Aliens, I guess? Uh, I know too much, man. I shouldn't even be recording this, but I know too much. All right, I'll leave it at that. Uh, what puts you to sleep? Um, puts me to sleep, uh, tequila. Tequila? Yeah. Man, I don't know about you. That shit got me awake. That, got shit, that shit woke me up, bro. Dude, uh, thank you for being on the thank show. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. Dude, it's a lot of fun. Uh, um, Remember, uh, so backline applications are open. Um, and uh, just, yeah, just if, if you do miss the deadline by any, for any reason, um, just, you know, keep in touch with what backline is doing to help emerging artists in Milwaukee. Um, and uh, just listen to all the points that we've made. You know, just... Humble yourself and understand what you, how you can make a difference in your community. Thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. We'll see you next time. Cheers. Oh.